welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. All right, Romans chapter 2 is where we're at today. And we're going to kick off. I want to remind you a little bit about last week's message. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul was, was um, digging into the Romans. He was... He's writing a letter to the Christians, to the Jews in Rome, to the believers in Rome. And in the last part of chapter 1, he um, begins to talk about all these Romans and how they live their life and what their life looks like and the terrible sin in their life. And he's just kind of laying into them. And did anybody go back and read the end of chapter 2 like I encourage you to do? One person. How can we study this book of the Bible together if you're not studying it? Okay, guys. All right, all right. So he goes and he lists, he reads off all these things, or he writes all these things about what their lives have become because of the sin in their life, because they knew the truth, but they chose to reject it, and they chose not to give thanks to God, and they chose not to worship God. Their life began to... Uh, go downhill, just slide down this hill into all kinds of wickedness and sin. And we didn't even really touch on this last week, but um, some of the Roman uh, thinkers and philosophers of the day themselves talked about what an age this was. They talked about it was an age of unparalleled luxury and unimaginable wickedness was taking place. In fact, they talked about it was so wicked and so there was so much money and there was so much wickedness abounding that they invented ways to do, in, in fact, I think Paul says it in this list of things, they invented ways of sinning. He talks about how they invented, they had to create things to do that were wrong because there was so much money. They didn't have need for anything. There was so much that they had. They had to invent things to do, like wicked things to do. This was how bad it was. It talks about how in the first 520 years of the Roman civilization, there had never been a divorce. And when this letter was being written, it had devolved into such um, a state where they were doing things like there was one woman they talked about, and they can go back in the records and find these things. There was one woman who had um, eight marriages in five years. Mm -hmm. There was so much money that they did things like instead of putting sawdust in the arena, they shaved gold and covered the arena floors in gold. They just created ludicrous and wild things to do because there was nothing else to do. There was um, an, an emperor, and I forget his name, his wife, she was so bored and so full of sin and so debased in her mind that every night because of nothing other than pure lust of her flesh, she would leave her palace and go serve in a brothel. You're all just staring at me like, that sounds normal to me. Isn't this perverted and sick? This is who wrote, when Paul was writing this letter, these are the things that he's talking about. That's why I'm sharing these with you. This is what he's talking about. These are the things he's saying because they didn't give thanks to God, because they didn't worship God. This is what their lifestyle had devolved down into. And in picking up here in chapter 2 is where we're going to start in verse 1. He says this, you may think you can condemn such people, but he says, you're just as bad. Actually, stand up with me. Yep. We did this last week and we're going to do it again today. 
And you're like, why am I standing? It's a nice stretch break. I just stood for 45 minutes during worship. I was enjoying my chair. We're standing up to honor the Lord. We're standing up to honor the Lord. We're standing up to honor his word. And so as I read this, I want you to stand up with me. You know, I don't know about you, but many of you would know this. My family's from the States, and so they're very patriotic. And and when we sang the national anthem, everybody stands, hats go off. It's not a very Canadian thing to take your hat off, but where I was born and raised, you didn't sit at a table with your hat on. You didn't have a hat on your head when you sang the national anthem. And so we would stand up, hats go off, and hands always go over hearts. And so if I would do that for a flag, if I would do that for a country, you better sure as shoot and believe that I'm going to stand up and give honor to God when we read his word. Amen? Amen. You may think you can duct and Jaden, just go with me as we read this, okay? So you have to skip through some slides. You may think that you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're actually condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. Father, we thank you in this place that you would open our eyes and open our ears to your truth. Father, I ask right now that you put your words in my heart and in my mouth and I say only the things that you want me to say. Father, I thank you that your word comes forth and finds a home in our hearts, bringing transformation and change so that we leave this place transformed more into your image. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. And we say, above all, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. Okay, grab a seat. Now you can settle in. I won't have you stand up again for a few moments anyways. So he's just in chapter 1. And, of course, when Paul wrote these letters, he didn't say this is chapter 1. This is chapter 2, verse 6. And he just was writing a letter. But for our reference, it's chapter 1. He's listing off the Romans and all these things that their life has degraded into. Chapter 2, he stops. And now he's talking to the Jewish believers. And he's saying to them, hey, these guys are really bad. And you think that you can condemn these people. But in reality, you're living the same kind of lifestyle, he says. You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. He says they're Romans. They, they don't, they're not Jewish believers. They don't have the law. They don't have the Torah to read. They don't have those things. And so you think that maybe you have an excuse. He says you don't have an excuse because you have those things. You know what God said. You had the Ten Commandments. You know what his rules are, and yet you're doing them yourself. And he says this um, in verse 2. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things yourself? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? I want to read something to you here. 
And listen, if you, if you want to get serious as we study the book of Romans, I suggest highly that you go get Barclay's commentary. Uh, they are fantastic. And this one cost me a whopping $3 from House of James. And it breaks down every verse, and it gives you the history, and it gives you all kinds of things. And if you're serious about learning the, the Word of God and what's really going on, then go grab yourself one of these books and read along and follow along. And this is what Barclay says he gives an illusion here and he tells us what's happening in this letter because the, the Romans are getting judged pretty hard. And then Paul comes along and he says, you, you, you're not any better than these guys. And let's talk about this. And the reason he's talking about this is because in those days, in this era, the Jewish believers believed because they were Jews, they were special and set apart. And they didn't have to follow the rules because they were Jews. They were going to get into heaven anyways. And so there is... Um, there is a man named Justin Martyr who was born in 100 A.D. And he wrote uh, uh, a, a, um, a text. Let's call it a text. He wrote a text. And in it, he was talking with the Jew. And, and the Jew says these things. And it was called the Dialogue with Trypho. And the Jew said this. They who are seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, shall in any case, even if they be sinners and unbelieving and disobedient toward God's, share in the eternal kingdom. Did you understand that? Basically what he's saying is, even though... They're not living life right. And even though they may be disobedient towards God and they might not believe, even though those things may be true, but because they're Jews, they'll still get into heaven. And so Paul is addressing this and saying, and in verse, in verse um, 11, he makes this statement, for God does not show favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. Well, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Let's think about that for a second. I was reading this, and as, as I was reading it, you, probably, you won't be able to see it, so I'm not going to show you, but in my, in my note, notes I wrote down, I was thinking about this and reading through this passage, and the note that I wrote to myself was, Jews or you too? And who is Paul talking to? Well, he's talking to the Jewish believers but as I began to study this passage of Scripture, I realized that a lot of us act and live in ways where we know, we know what the right thing to do is. We know the right way to live is. We know the things that we're supposed to do, but we let things begin to slide like these Jewish believers. And do we live a Christian lifestyle where we choose just to kind of slack off a little bit and to lay back a little bit and take it easy on ourselves? And see, they were judging all these Romans for the way they lived their lives, but they weren't taking stock of their own life. Do we live our lives as believers like that? Or are you sincere about your relationship with God? Do you, like he said in chapter 1, Spend time worshiping God and giving thanks to God for who he is and what he's done for you? Do you, like we sang this morning, ask yourself, how good is he? How good is God? Like, let's just talk about how good God is for a minute. Let's think about how good God is in my life. In verse number four. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you. Those words there, we're going to look at them for a second in the Greek because they're important words. 
Then he goes on and he makes this, this statement. He says this, Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? The New King James says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Let's look at those words for a minute. The first word here in my translation is, is kind. He's wonderfully kind. And it's the Greek word krestades. And it means usefulness. That is moral excellence in character or demeanor. Gentleness, goodness, and kindness. So it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind God's, God's moral excellence, his character and his demeanor, his gentleness towards you. Then it says his tolerance. Intolerance is the word anoke. And it means this, to bear with and to suffer, forbearance, indulgence, and temporary long-suffering. Temporary long-suffering. It's God giving you time to repent and change. It's God saying, I see what you're doing, but I love you so much that I'm giving you time to change your ways. In my goodness, in my moral excellence, in my demeanor, in who I am, I'm giving you long-suffering. I'm giving you time to change your ways before I rash out and punish you. Isn't that great? How good is he? So good. Because listen, if we got what we really deserved, what would your life look like? How often do you think about that? Man, I'm thankful for God because if he gave me what I deserved, oh man, my life probably wouldn't look like it looks like today. And he goes on, there's one more word here, and it's the word patient. And you would say, well, tolerant and patient, they're very similar. And yeah, they are. It's the Greek word macrothumia. And it means to be long-suffering, forbearance, self-restraint, before proceeding to action. The quality of a person who's able to avenge himself, yet refrains or chooses not to do so. And then Paul goes on, in this description of God's loving kindness towards you, breaking it down for you, then he goes on and says, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. He's giving people time. See, he's talking to the Jewish believers. He just finished telling them all about the Romans and how terrible their lives are. And then he says, you're not much better you even know better you have the law you have things that I've said specifically to you of how you should live your life but you're not doing it but in my goodness I'm giving you time to repent and change how good is he so good I got you uh 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 <laughs> hey, you know what? And that's a great way to look at it because God's, 
not just going to give you to the count of five. He's going to give you chance after chance because God desires to see you in his kingdom. The Bible says that God's not willing that any man should perish. So he says, man, I love Chad so much that I was going to give him a chance, and I'm going to give him a chance, I'm going to give him a chance, and I'm going to give him a chance, and I'm going to give him a chance. And God will be standing here all day long saying, I'm giving you a chance, I'm giving you a chance, I'm giving you a chance because I love you, man, and I want you to come into my kingdom, and I want your life to look the way that I desire for your life to be how good is he let me show you something let's go to exodus chapter 34 hold your place here hold your place here in romans and go with me to exodus exodus is the second book of the bible exodus chapter 34 and let's just take a moment and let the Lord introduce himself to us. Just a little bit of context, not too much because we're running out of time here. But the context of this portion of scripture is the children of Israel are out in the wilderness. They have left Egypt. The Lord has led them out. They were out. Moses went up onto the mountaintop to meet with the Lord. Moses and Joshua. The Lord himself gave Moses, two tablets that he wrote, the Bible says, with his finger, ten commandments out on to take down to the children of Israel and show them these laws. When Moses came down, the people had lost their minds and they were worshiping a golden calf and they were all, the Bible says they were doing all kinds of terrible things and Moses got mad and threw these tablets down and they smashed and then Moses had to go back up through a series of events. He goes back up to the, to the Lord and he goes back up and the Lord gives him the tablets again and, they, and he writes it out on his fingers, with, with his fingers, not on his fingers, he writes it on with his fingers and then Moses is going to bring these tablets back down, the Ten Commandments, to the people. But he is with the Lord, and he says, God, I want you to show me your goodness. I want you to show yourself to me. And in Exodus chapter 34, the Lord begins to introduce himself to Moses and say, this is who I am. If you want to know who the Lord is, this is who the Lord is. This is how the Lord introduces himself. When God says, what's my name? This is what he says, okay? My name is Jake. This is Jacob. This is Beth. That's Reese, right? That's who we are. When the Lord introduces himself, we're about to read the Lord introducing himself and how he wants to be known. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 says this. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. If you want to know who the Lord is, this is who the Lord is. This who's, who's who God is. He is Yahweh. He says, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, slow to anger. Listen, God is not a God who is quick to anger. God's not looking for a way to get mad at you. God's not sitting upstairs with a big um, chart on his arm in his hand with all of your wrongs, just waiting for one more check mark and then you're donezo. He is the God that is slow 
slow to anger, to give you time to repent and change your ways and find yourself to him so that you can be all that God has called you to be. Oh, thanks, Jacob. It is good. The God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish, I lavish, I lavish unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. This is who God is. This is Yahweh. You want to know who God is? That's who God is. And so here in Romans, let's go back. When he is introducing, when he's talking, I'm sorry here. He says, can't you see the kindness or the goodness is intended to turn you from sin? See, the Jews that he's writing to were allowing their idea and their belief that they were going to go to heaven just because they were Jewish to allow them to live in such a way that they shouldn't have been living. They were riding on the coattails of their heritage as opposed to a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he says God does not show favoritism in verse 11 because it doesn't matter who you are. He goes on here. He says, because you're stubborn in verse 5 and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment from yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Well, the New King James says he will render to each one payment for his deeds. He will judge everyone according to what they've done. And you may say, well, hang on a second. I thought, I thought a relationship with Jesus wasn't about my works. It's about faith. Ephesians says we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So why is Paul here saying that he's going to render me? Or that I, What does it say here in the New Living Translation? It says um, he will judge everyone according to what they've done. Well, the answer to that is very simple. Let's look real quick in the book of James. James chapter 2. Are you with me? <laughs> James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. Thank you. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? See, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how, I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 
You say you have faith for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. The reason in Romans chapter 2 here that Paul says he will judge everyone according to what they've done is because your faith and your actions are linked together. You can't have faith and not have actions. You have to have actions that show you have faith. That's what he's saying in James. When James wrote, the brother of Jesus wrote the book of James, and he's talking about your faith and your works, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And so he says, you're going to be judged by your deeds, by the works that you've done. Because faith is proved in your actions. Faith is shown in your doing. If you love Jesus, if you love the Lord, then you're going to show it by who you are, by what you do, by what you say, by what you think about, so that everybody who looks at you can say, hey, there's something different about this person. I can see it in their life. I can see it in their words. Or I can hear it in the words, I guess. I can see it in the way they act. And he says here, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor or immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who, look at this, who number one, live for themselves. Number two, who refuse to obey the truth. And number three, instead live lives of wickedness. I want to stop here for just a second. He's got three things here that the Apostle Paul addresses. Living life for yourself. What is that? Selfishness. And last week I made this statement to you, that the essence of sin was putting yourself in the place of God. The essence of sin is, is exalting yourself. That's what Lucifer did in heaven, right? He said, I want to be worshipped. I'm going to put myself in God's place. And so he says here, he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. I'm thinking about myself. That's what all that matters. My goals, my dreams, my purpose, my plan. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. Doesn't matter what God says for me. I'm going to do this. This is all about me. They're living for themselves. Who refuse to obey the truth. Man, I love this phrase. Obey the truth. Obey the can we just talk about this for a second? John chapter 14, verse 6 says what? Jesus is talking and he says, I am. Let's say it again. A little bit louder, a little more conviction. Jesus said, I am. I just love that. You know, the word the is a single article. It means it's not plural. It means there is the way, the truth, and the life. And when the Apostle Paul, this has two meanings, okay? It says, those who refuse to obey the truth. Now, there is a truth that we know from the word of God, amen? You crack open your Bible. Listen to me. You better be cracking your Bible open. Now more than ever in the days where we live, in the times that you're going through, in the trials that you have, you need to be cracking open the word of God, finding yourself in there, and seeing what the Lord is saying to you out of it, Amen? 
All right, so there is a truth that we receive from the word of God. When you spend time in his presence, when you say, I'm going to go down the river, I'm going to crack open my Bible, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to listen to Jesus, I'm going to see what his word says, and I'm going to receive some truth, and I am going to obey that truth. Amen? Amen? But also, Jesus is the truth. Those who refuse to obey the truth, also known as Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So it says here, those who refuse to obey the truth isn't just talking about the truth of the word of God. It's also about surrendering and submitting your life to Jesus and obeying what he says for you to do. And these are the people that God will pour his wrath out on those who don't surrender and submit and obey the truth. Who don't obey Jesus when he says to do something. Okay. <laughs> well, that's not very nice. And then he says, those who live lives of wickedness. These are the people that God is going to continue, or he's going to pour out his anger and wrath on. And it says this, this is an important phrase. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. And that's an important phrase there. Keeps on doing, keeps on doing keeps on doing, that's important. Because let's be honest, we all make mistakes, don't we? We all do things we shouldn't do, don't we? We all say things we shouldn't say. We think things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do because we're humans and we make mistakes. But when we make those mistakes, we turn around and run to Jesus, don't we? That's what we should do. But he says here that the ones who keep on doing what is evil is who the Lord is going to pour out his anger and wrath on. That's talking about people who choose, like we read in chapter 1, people who choose to reject the truth and say, nah, I don't, this is more fun. I want to do this instead. I'm going to keep on doing this because I like it. On those people, on the ones who reject the truth, who don't submit and surrender to Jesus, on the ones who, um, my slide's gone, on the ones who uh, live lives of wickedness and refuse to obey the truth and live for themselves, on those people, on those ones who say, I'm going to keep on doing these things, that's who God's going to pour out his anger and judgment on. Then it says, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, verse 10 says, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile because God does not show favoritism. Good news, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat together. And you've got to live your life in such a way that your life is a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to read through these next few verses here, and I want you to listen to me. Actually, I'm going to read a big chunk of verses. And I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes with me as I read these to you. And I want you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. And I want you to see if you see yourselves in these verses. I want you to ask yourself, is Paul just talking to the Jewish believers here? Or do I see myself in these verses? Do I see my actions in these verses? Can I be found here? 
Verse 12 says, when the Gentiles sin, they'll be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message that I proclaim. The day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your spiritual relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what's right because you've been taught this in his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for the people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scripture says, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than the uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you're not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Stand up with me. It's a powerful passage because Paul is addressing the Jewish believers because of a mindset and a belief that they held that they were somehow exempt from having to obey the laws and the rules and have a real relationship with Jesus. But he sums it all up by saying there is no favoritism. We're all in the same boat together. You can't judge those people because you do the same thing and don't think you're going to get out of these things and having to have your own relationship with Jesus because you're just Jewish. And he goes on and he tops it all off at the very end by saying, um, a true Jew, in verse 29, is one whose heart is right with God. 
It's not about circumcision. It's not about following rules and regulations. It's about your heart being right with God. It's about you being in right relationship with God our Father. It's about you having Yahweh, the unfailing God in your life, who pours out lavishly love to you, who gives you chance after chance after chance after chance. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray And I want you to take just a moment. And if you realize that in your life that you can identify with some of these verses, you know, maybe you're not committing adultery. Maybe you're not doing idol worship. Maybe you're not doing all these things necessarily that are listed here. But you know that in your own heart, your heart's not right with God. You know that you're not living right with the Lord. You know that you've um, got to such a place where it's more about rules and regulations and do this and don't do those things. That I want you to have the opportunity just to make some heart adjustments, to do some tweaking and some fine-tuning so that you can be in the place where God wants you to be. He starts off by saying all this stuff, by saying that God is wonderfully kind and patient and tolerant, and his goodness is there to lead you back to him. God desires that none of his people should perish, and God wants all of us to be in right relationship with him so that our life is moving and flowing and working the way that he designed and the way that he desires it to. And sometimes that takes, actually a lot of time, it takes time in his presence with tweakings and tunings where the Lord speaks to you and says, hey, what about this area right right here in your heart? What about this piece right here? Or what about this piece right over here? Let's talk about this. Let's tweak this a little. Let's just change this a little bit and make it look more like this. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.